Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to What's the Res. We here at What's the Res are dedicated to hosting the ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. Today's episode is all about the 2020 LD Nationals resolution, uh, which is focusing on intergenerational wealth transfer. My name is Josh Herring, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Ethan Delves, and we're going to talk about the recent Institute for Speech and Debate webinar about this resolution. Ethan, how's, how are things going? It, it was a great webinar. I really enjoyed it. And so Crawford was leading the webinar, uh, Crawford Lavoie. He leads pretty much tons of debate stuff in North Carolina and, and, and nationally as well. And he's phenomenal at resolution analysis. So he, he held a webinar for the ISD, Institute of Speech and Debate, which is basically like a summer boot camp for debaters to go to. If you want to get better at traditional, progressive, any sort of debate, they have really good coaches there that will help you. I think it's a week long or they, they may have another program, but the one I've heard about is a, a week long program that they hold um, annually. And, and I think even more than that, but they have really good coaches and Crawford was telling us about that. And he taught me a lot about the resolution. So the webinar was split into two parts. We talked about what in the world is online debate going to look like in, in light of COVID-19. And then we did a resolution analysis and it was all very good, very worth the Zoom call. Well, let's let's take just a moment. And uh, since I, I we've gotten several folks who are uh, clear who are planning to compete at nationals, uh, we've had two comments on on YouTube and two emails so far. Uh, so walk us through any uh, tips that you got for competing at nationals that are particularly related to the online format. What should people do? What should they not do? Are there any kind of big tips that Crawford mentioned that people might benefit from? Yes, there's. Let's start with the basics internet connectivity. You get disconnected. It's not, it's never going to be good. You don't want to get dropped because your opponent's there. And then it's like not showing up to the round, right? Like I'm not saying you could like automatically get knocked because the Reagan foundation had a different cutoff. It was five minutes, right? And then right. if you weren't there after five minutes, you'd be cut. I'm not sure what the NSDA's rules around that are, but it's risky. Make sure you have good internet, reliable hardware, and get familiar with the software you're using. If you're using Zoom, get familiar with Zoom. Get familiar with how you're going to toggle that with your notes and your speeches. Um, Crawford talked a lot about having good lighting, reducing echo, having a background that's not too complicated, but you also don't want it to be blank. You want it to be interesting. Also, don't hang up all of your trophies for intimidation purposes and, and, and or anything like that. Don't be, don't be a jerk like that. Um, pet peeve of Crawford's, don't have the fan on. Because when you have a light on and the fan on, you see those like sh the shadow of the fan uh, going over your face and like a striped sort of pattern. It's annoying, apparently, to judges and debaters because I've seen people with the fan on. It's pretty weird. I'll do a quick okay. shout out to uh, our friend, Mr. Brady over at the Apex campus here because uh, he has when his in his work from home space and a lot of our meetings over this quarter. He has a fan going on the background. His joke is that it's a halo. Oh, he's got the light okay. going on. It's like glowing behind him and it's on a halo effect. Probably not a great move for debaters, but uh, Mr. Brady rocks that pretty, pretty hardcore. So the, here is there's a couple of different platforms that people are planning on using. There's one called classrooms.cloud. There's Yachtly or Yatly, one of those two. Discord, Zoom, and NSDA is making their own online platform specifically for debate purposes called NSDA Campus. Um, it's rolling out probably for nationals. I don't know when it's rolling out or when they're going to start using it, but hopefully that's what NSDA tournaments will look like in the future. Here's the most important thing to remember. This is in round and like while you're having the debate round, one of the things you do in LD is you call for cards. Can't do that because there's COVID-19. 
But so you can't do it in the normal way is what I'm saying. Obviously, you can still call for cards. Here's how you do it. Get the emails, get the emails of the opponent before the round. Before the round starts, time is of the essence here. Because you're in a Zoom call, you've got people waiting on you. It's not like you're in person, they can hand you the card. Make sure you trade emails with the people in the room. If the judges want that for disclosure purposes, make sure to do that or do it with your opponent so that you can email each other's cards on a moment's notice during prep time and not waste a ton of time doing that. You can use the chat feature to share your email with everyone, which is what Crawford suggested to do. To make sure people have your email, so if you want to call for cards, look at evidence, anything like that, you can do that without wasting a ton of your opponent's prep time or your own prep time. Just logistics stuff. And that was the best advice that I hadn't thought of uh, so he, I, I didn't really thought of any of this stuff, but the calling for cards things was important. Like putting your email in the chat, making sure that you can contact people quickly if you need to for connectivity issues and stuff, um, is important. Now those all sound like an online version of the same thing. People are always trying to do. You want to convince the judge you are competent, you're reliable, you are credible from the very moment you enter the room at a face-to-face tournament. And those sound like ways to make sure you kind of, Uh, it's not the same, but you can definitely project that sort of competence and confidence in an online space as well. Yep. You're trying to, you're trying to transfer that confidence over from being in person over to the online competitive sphere. Good stuff. Okay. Well, let's, let's get into some topic analysis stuff. Our resolution reads resolve the intergenerational accumulation of wealth is antithetical to democracy. And hopefully our, our listeners know we have two previous episodes on this. So uh, we've already kind of talked through these definitions to death. Ethan, what did, what did Crawford add to your understanding of these definitions? Right. So every, everything I'm about to talk about is Crawford stuff. None of this we came up with ourselves. Crawford and ISD, this is all them. Intergenerational accumulation is existing or occurring between generations. He just uses Webster for definitions. Um, wealth is – so he was talking about – because he knows how – um, the, the community decided on the resolution. He talked a little bit about where resolutions come from and how the whole voting process as well. He said that the community, the topic community intended for us to talk about money. And we're not talking about, and he said something about like wealth of knowledge or education or something like that as a potential ambiguous sort of way of defining the resolution. He's, he took a very traditional approach to this. And of course he said that you could, you could find progressive avenues if you wanted to. NSDA doesn't really lean that way. We're looking at traditional approaches. So he said the intention was money for talking specifically about wealth in terms of money, not about education and knowledge. So it's whether or not families should be able to gather money and move it to other generations and how that process relates to a democracy. And he said exactly what we said on the other episode too about the word antithetical. This is a polarizing word. It's being in direct or unequivocal opposition to, directly opposed to. That's from Webster. Or Lexico has a slightly softer definition. Um, oh, wait, no, actually, this may, this may be of the same caliber. It's directly opposed to or contrasted, mutually incompatible. So those are, the, those are the hardcore definitions. He said, for the specific team that needs to define it a little softer, so probably for the affirmative team, because that's a massive burden to prove that something is universally this way and antithesis, period, end of story. If you want a different sort of definition, these tend to exist in the literature. You're looking more on the literature side of things rather than Webster's Dictionary or like Merriam-Webster or Dictionary.com. This is where you'll find definitions that are maybe of antithetical that are like contrary to, for example, that are not as polarizing as the direct definitions are. So I'm going to pause here in case you wanted to say anything because I've been talking for a while. Uh, I just think it's it's I find it comforting to know that we were on the right track. I I have a great yeah. deal of respect for Crawford's ability to analyze a resolution and 
I, I know it's I know he's on the wording uh, committee, so it's possible he helped draft this particular resolution. So I'm glad to know we were on the right track to read antithetical as being really a key term for this resolution. Like it's that strong. It's what really divides AF and NEG's ground from each other. And it uh, when we focus on that, that's going to create the the clash in the debate. Yeah, Crawford also talked about that. There's something unique about this resolution. It's that it did not experience any change from its original inception and wording. Hmm. The resolution was put out and not edited and voted upon. There were no changes made to it. So this is something that people have been wanting to debate for a while. He also talked about democracy as being a form of government by the people. Um, and affirmative would probably characterize that as fairness, negative, again, like you said, relating to property rights. So we, we hit the nail on the head. We're thinking like Crawford there. It's always a good sign. And um, he said it's not U.S. specific, but U.S. based examples are familiar to judges. So it's probably a good way to go. Um, He says there's the essential question of what does it mean to be a democracy? And does the growing power of families eat away at democratic principles? Um, And there's a huge question about the estate tax in there, too, is a big sort of theme in this debate. So in the essential question, should a family get to hold on to everything that they make? He gave us a, a brief and narrow history is what he called it of intergenerational accumulation of wealth. Um, should we go over that? Do you think, or uh, probably? I think I think the the yeah. time scales pretty helpful. It looks like I'm just looking at your notes. He he starts back at sort of hunter gatherer stages where wealth accumulation is more about plundering and you keep what you take yep. and uh, whatever you have left when you die goes to your offspring. But uh, this that, that's not really uh, what we're dealing with today. Yeah, so he he did start with a whole plundering. It's like when wealth is accumulated, you plunder it, you keep it, and you give it to your kids. Um, He talked about like long ago you were recognized by titles of nobility and then you would pass the titles of nobility onto your offspring and that could be considered a form of wealth because you're like passing on the wealth of your house, so to call it. Um, And not so long ago, the founding fathers were talking about aristocracy, although he argued that they were definitely the aristocracy of America because they're the founding fathers. Um, and they feared the power of aristocracy. So this is where the estate tax came from. So that we can't have the intergenerational accumulation of wealth to the point where, hey, we've created another aristocracy in this country where we clearly don't want that. Um, so the taxation's purpose was to keep the aristocracy in check and give back to people that need some. The modern estate tax begins at about $11.5 million or higher. And he doesn't, he, I, he advised against calling it the death tax because that's just conservative rhetoric to argue against the estate tax. So just call it by its name, estate tax. Um, you can get taxed as high as 40% with exceptions. And debates began in the 1960s and 70s to lead to changes in the estate tax. Um, so it slowly applies less and less and generates less and less revenue. So it's kind of like what we talked about at Coolidge with the, um, what tax was it? It was, it was one of the taxes where, oh, it was a tariff where it was less for the purpose of revenue and more for a different purpose. We see a pattern with the estate tax generating less and less revenue over time. And, but there are rich people that are in favor of the estate tax for like the principle that it stands up for. Bill Gates is in favor of the estate tax, which I thought was pretty interesting because like of all people, you expect Bill Gates not to be in favor of the estate tax, but I guess he is. Oh, which is that, that, that is, that would be supporting uh, the, the whole point of calling it the death tax as being a conservative thing as conservatives tend to oppose this tax. Bill Gates is by no means conservative. So I would, that would, right. that would just line up politically uh, in a reasonable way. Well, let, let's go over All some right. arguments. What, what, what arguments did you guys cover on, uh, on AF? Affirmative was so good. This was such a good resolution analysis. I just enjoyed every minute of this. He said that the affirmative 
has to show or can show that the power and influence gained through accumulation of wealth are in direct opposition to the things we recognize as democratic ideals. That's the goal of the affirmative. Um, we're talking about equality here. Families amassing wealth and influence would not and not giving each their dues, and that would be unjust, kind of taking a, a John Rawls approach. Um, he thinks John Rawls has a good side and a bad side. Veil of ignorance would be great because you would want to put on the veil of ignorance and not choose to be one of the members that is a victim of the bad side of intergenerational accumulation of wealth. He said there's also a bad side because Rawls argued that some natural inequality is okay. So you could pick or choose yeah. either side of that. Maybe that would be a good negative block. Rawls is a uh, he, he's he's fascinating because he, he's very much a neo-Kantian uh, in terms of he's trying to have some of Kant's universality, but he doesn't think we will ever achieve perfect justice. So he's also got room in his philosophy to say, oh, there will always be some imbalance and we're better off to make progress, he would say, than to reject progress in the name of seeking perfection. And here's the craziest thing I heard on the entire Zoom call. The heirs of Walmart have more wealth than the bottom 42% of Americans combined. The heirs of – so like the heirs of 42% of Americans of a country have more wealth. People, just a small group of people. Insane. That's just like, like have that in there as a shocker to just get people thinking. There's an estimated $30 trillion of, of wealth going to um, the children of baby boomers over the next – or wait, no. Yeah, the children of wealthy baby boomers over the next three decades. $30 trillion. Yeah, that would was... look really nice for the U.S. debt, wouldn't it? That's well, just my thought. Maybe. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some of that myself someday. I would oh, wait, rather no, I'm not saying take not it. I'm just saying away. we could use $30 trillion. That'd be sick. Well, but I, um, no. there's – so six out of the ten wealthiest Americans are merely heirs of their fortune, which is something you consider. So we're seeing that there's a majority of people are only wealthy because the previous generation was wealthy and not because they actually worked for it. Um, or not that they didn't, you know, there's, they've been probably some cases they did work for it and they just had a big inheritance. Who knows? Um, so if it, if democracy is really about the influence of the common person, does it mean that there's in, there's equal influence? Because again, intergenerational accumulation of wealth, how far does that affect the influence of certain people who have that wealth? But there's more to it than just equality too. He talked about political corruption. Um, and he, he talked about the ability to have a voice in the government as well. He brought up this study called the Gillens and Page study that does a good job of showing that democracies are not democratic and showing how inf influences can change and corruption can sort of occur. And that's really where the analysis on the affirmative ended. But I really like the facts that he brought up about Walmart and the wealth coming from baby boomers and the suggestion to use John Rawls. That's a that that I that whole idea about democracy is not being very democratic. There's there's a lot of good data on that on both sides of both both political sides. Um, the Bush dynasty is an old school wealthy family that has been involved in politics. I think for four or five generations now. Uh, the Clintons are now uh, if the uh, if uh, Bill and Hillary's daughters actually do go into politics, I think they'd be the second or third generation to go in to politics but there's definitely uh the kennedys were another dynasty uh there's this whole there there are certain families that have enough wealth that it seems like instead of going into business to increase wealth they go into politics and they get into the game of increasing family power instead so that's that's a very interesting point uh okay let's get to the neg what kind of uh arguments did crawford cover on neg it's all about the word antithetical how does the affirmative define antithetical the next biggest tool in this debate is that the bad impacts that the affirmative side brings up are not enough. It has to be the direct opposite of democracy. You need to define antithetical hard. 
and give the affirmative that burden that they that you can leverage from the resolution. Because the affirmative needs to show that it is the direct opposite. They could give you as many harms, however they want to format disadds, harms, or I don't know, whatever affirmatives do, and and make it difficult that way. But don't lose sight of the objective. It's that the affirmative has to define anti- or needs to prove that it is antithetical. So give a solid definition and run with that. So that's good defense. He described that part as defense, having a good definition behind you, making sure you place that appropriate burden on the affirmative side. Now, as far as offense goes, he says to use the more modern estate tax as a starting place. So libertarianism is, would be a good sort of framework here, focusing around the property rights and personal freedom, mm-hmm. that the state should be able to, to should be small and offer few restrictions of government. Theorists look at this idea that, we look at the idea sort of like a social contract. We've all agreed to these arrangements and we essentially worship rich people. We elect the president so it isn't undemocratic. Like it's, it's like we, we have had a say in how these people got up here. And it's the question of personal freedom. Who's to say that we can't build wealth? That's something that the people decide. So really, it's like we've gotten ourselves here, but under a state of libertarianism, it's it's to say that we as individuals with our personal freedom can build wealth. It's it's like a right sort of thing. So we, in our episode, we sort of were aligned with this too. We talked about property rights and the idea of libertarianism. So Crawford essentially was saying the same thing. I think that's, as you were talking about that, it reminds, I think there's a good argument. There's, I don't know what the right adjective is here, a Trumpist or a Trumpian kind of argument here. Because on NEG, you certainly could argue about the ability of any American to basically become Donald Trump. Any American can inherit a certain amount of money, use that as working capital, and become rich enough to own buildings in downtown New York and apparently become president of the United States. Not that Trump bought the presidency or anything like that, but that that's possible and that's that that's that that's there's an argument for that and the fact that that could be anybody in America I think that belongs on the negative side of this resolution. Uh, okay, well as we are wrapping up this episode, uh, I, I see what talk to me about what did what did Crawford mean by calling the NSDA a marathon marathon of a tournament. I was a little confused with this part, but basically it's referring to the number of rounds and how difficult it is to get through the national tournament. He says round one is a test round. So that's practice. That's not that's not counting. I'm pretty sure that's because it's a virtual platform. We're trying to get everyone used to it and set oh, up. Literally, it's uh, literally a test round. It doesn't it's count. It's a test round. It is a test round. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Starting at round seven, you begin the same double down process as at a district tournament. It takes another eight rounds, about 15 total rounds, to make it to the stage. That's four to five days. 15 rounds. What's the most we've done? Six in a day? Uh, Six yeah. in a day. That was for Reagan. Yeah. yeah. Six in a day. Wow. We're, we're talking about eight, like 15 rounds here. Know the lay of the land. Read the judges' paradigms, as always. They come, pairings come out on Sunday ahead of time. You can get a leg up on it. Um, traditional debate is the name of the game. He says stock arguments are stock arguments for a reason because they're at the core of what's in the resolution. They're the essential parts of the resolution. So stick to the traditional side. There's good stuff to debate on both sides. And we're not trying to confuse judges with examples that are convoluted and difficult to get to. We're trying to make the clearest argument possible so that we can win nationals. That's the goal. The uh, Reagan tournament or two Reagan tournaments ago when uh, Aubrey made it all the way through to be tournament champion uh, was the closest I've ever come to seeing what I think Crawford's thinking of with that marathon metaphor of the whole idea that it's one thing to win like four or five rounds in a row. But for Aubrey won five rounds in prelims and then had to go another four rounds in out rounds. So that by the end of the day, she had to be, she had to win all nine rounds in a row to be number one. And it's, it's one thing to pick up two or three rounds because like you're fresh and you're excited, 
But by the time you hit round seven or eight, I mean, it's just like a knockdown drag out. Who's the most awake and alert and still yeah. listening and thinking? Uh, it's hard to, to make it through those kind of tournaments. That's that's no easy thing. So, well, uh, ladies and gentlemen uh, who are competing at nationals, obviously, uh, Ethan's not competing. I, I, I'm not judging for our team. I'll be judging in uh, congressional for another school. But uh, for those of you who are going to be at nationals, best of luck. We hope that this episode was a help to you. Uh, Ethan, how can people get in touch with us if they want to give us any feedback about this or tell us their national story? If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at whatstherez at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-S at gmail.com. You can look at our website. That's www.whatstherez.com, where we post all of our episodes and social media handles. And we have an Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit account. That's at whatstherez underscore. So get in contact with us in any of those different ways. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth.